Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. Sometimes it may seem as if you're not making a meaningful impact. Your daily routine feels unimportant, especially with everything happening in the world. You wonder if you could do more with the life that God has given you. Someone once wrote, He does the most for God's great world who does the best in his own little world. All around you are people who could be wonderfully affected by your help and kindness. God asks you to have an impact on the world by loving them as he loves them. The most meaningful work that you can do is to care for the people around you. Will you do it? Here in the Archbishop's Corner is where Archbishop Blair inspires us to move out into the world around us to be an effective force of God's love. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for taking the time to share with us your thoughts about living the gospel and making a genuine impact on the people in the world around us. How are you today? Very well, thank you. Talking about what's coming up this week, on Tuesday, the Catholic Church honors St. Agnes, who suffered death for her dedication to Christ. You know, although the, I guess the details of Agnes's life are mostly unknown, the story of her martyrdom at the young age of 12 or 13 has been passed on with reference since the 4th century. St. Agnes made a promise to God to never stain her purity and is one of the virgin martyrs of the Church, one of seven women, in addition to the Blessed Virgin Mary, who are mentioned in the Roman canon of the Mass. What, what impresses you most about St. Agnes, Archbishop? Well, I think um, these early uh, martyr saints that have been commemorated, uh, not only in the city of Rome, but uh, elsewhere in the early heartland of Christianity and the, and the Mediterranean world, they give an insight into the uh, spirit and thinking uh, and the interpretation, biblical interpretation given to the mystery of Christ and the Christ event and everything that, that accompanied the life of the church. And it's very interesting at a time like ours that really um, relegates virginity to some kind of uh, eccentricity or, or, you know, something uh, very odd. The ancient world, uh, consecration to virginity in early Christianity was very powerful. Many people in public life in the Roman world in the early earliest times of Christianity renouncing, we could call a certain worldliness, uh, and, and, and embracing a more ascetical life and embracing even a call to virginity. You know, I think we, we have to remember that uh, in Judaism, uh, virginity was not valued, uh, celibacy was certainly not valued at all. Uh, that's why the apostles were so startled when Jesus talked about uh, re remaining celibate for the sake of the kingdom of God. But you take a person like Agnes, a lot of those early saints are, are somewhat legendary in the fact that the stories connected with the particulars of their life, you know, they're part based in, in history and part based in legend about how things transpired. Uh, although for some of them, we, we have a, a clear historical record. But I think uh, they speak to us still because they they do uh, talk uh, to us about how the gospel has been lived, how the baptismal call in Christ has been lived, even heroically, because that's what saint is, someone who's lived a life of heroic virtue, 
and perseverance. And you know from our days in Rome long ago or even more recently that, you know, the tombs of the saints, of the martyrs is, is uh, I mean, it's at the really at the heart of Christian Rome. And yeah. uh, St. Agnes and the beautiful church of St. Uh, Agnes uh, and the um, Piazza Navona, Agnese and Agone, I think in Trastevere too, some things. It's been a while all these years. But, uh, you know, when I was in Rome for the Ad Liminum uh, last November, I made a, a little personal pilgrimage to uh, one of those really old uh, uh, churches, San Martino ai Monti. And uh, you go down to, down those steps to the old ancient Roman level and the remnants of earlier churches and streets. And then you see the inscriptions of the martyrs, early martyrs who were buried there by some of the early popes. I think it's a you know very moving and inspiring thing for us. Certainly, that, yeah. uh, the communion that we're all part of the communion of saints. Wednesday of this week is Day of Prayer for the Legal Protection of Unborn Children, and there have been over 56 million abortions since the 1973 decisions of Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton. It's the 47th annual March for Life in Washington D.C. This year's theme is Life Empowers, Pro Life is Pro Woman. Are you attending the March for Life in Washington? Yes, and I'm very happy to say that we have uh, 230 people at this point going from the Archdiocese of Hartford nice. uh, to uh, for this. And I want to say something about this. You know, there's been some bickering in the church about Pope Francis and about uh, abortion, all this. There is absolutely no question uh, Pope Francis has made this abundantly clear that he is as staunchly pro-life and anti-abortion as as anybody. I, I noticed in his uh, message for Lent coming up this year, uh, he he mentions this too. All that the Pope said is that as important as it is, it cannot lead us to be unmindful of the other moral uh, threats to human life and dignity that are taking place in our world today. Right. That is not really any different than Pope John Paul or Pope Benedict or Pope Paul VI, any of the modern popes. So I think we need to clear the air about that. Some people want to make it look that way, that somehow, aha, the Pope is backing off from all this pro-life stuff. But I don't, I, I follow what the Pope says and I see these things. I, I don't believe that is at all true. But anyway, so here we are. And I love uh, that the, the the name we gave to that day. What did what is it again? Prayer, day of prayer. Uh, uh, day of prayer for the legal protection of unborn children. Yes, you know it's not anti this and anti abortion. Anti it it is for the, the the legal protection of unborn children. That really says it all. I've been going uh, to Washington every January for this for years. Yeah. Um, I think almost since the time I became a bishop. Um, I'm not on it anymore, but for a couple of years there, I was on the pro-life committee of the Bishop's Conference. You know, now in the Archdiocese, uh, we have uh, one of our more recently ordained priests, Father Demetrician, who's head, heading up our Archdiocesan uh, pro-life office efforts. And we're trying to uh, put some, uh, uh, he, he will bring, you know, some new uh, energy to that um, we have our pro-life mass at the cathedral, and uh, there's a wonderful program this year uh, for, for uh, the Bishop's Conference uh, about accompanying mothers who are uh, in need. Uh, I think that's a beautiful and positive way for us to uh, to approach this, because it is really at the heart of our approach. It's not negative. It's very positive. Absolutely, yeah. 
But when you're in a country where over 50, um, over what, 50, how many million did you say? 56 million abortions. 56 million ab abortions. You know, uh, th that is just astounding and, and horrific. And so we're going to keep up our efforts to, to support women who are pregnant in difficult circumstances, to help them, and also to uh, work and pray for the legal protection of unborn children. Well, it, it's interesting because I, I love the theme Life empowers pro-life is pro-woman. And I'd like you to listen to this. It, it comes from the March for Life website, and it's all about this theme, life empowers pro-life is pro-woman. This is two minutes in length, but I think it's well worth our, our sharing it with our audience. And, and then I'd like to get your comment on this, Archbishop. I love being a woman. When I say I love being a woman, I mean I love all of me. I mean I love all that that means. My mind, my lips, my soul, my hips, my body, my fertility, inner, outer beauty, and all that makes me she. We women are strong, intuitive, compassionate, and valuable. Smart, caring, nurturing, capable, and powerful. We are lawyers, mothers, poets, politicians, and teachers. Doctors, daughters, wives, artists, sisters, we are leaders. Let us always keep in our remembrance the bravery of our founding feminists. They birthed the 19th Amendment. Friends, these were our real-life heroines. Thank Alice Paul, because it was she who fought with Susan B. Anthony. In 1920, they got the vote, but it was just the beginning. They called abortion, and I quote, the ultimate exploitation of women. They not only recognize the rights of our very smallest children, they knew abortion at its core also harms us as women. Now come 2020, the number of killed females unborn has reached 30 million. But it should be no surprise that abortion targets the marginalized, so I'm lucky I survived. Let's go back in time again and find another heroine, Jane Roe of Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court case that made abortion legal in all states. Jane Roe was a cover name. Roe's real name was Norma McCorvey. She said she firmly believes the entire abortion industry is based on a lie. She spent the rest of her life trying to undo the law that bears her name. This was Jane Roe of Roe v. Wade, the woman who fought for abortion in the first place. But by the time she realized the lie, they'd closed the case. We will never have true equality until we realize that abortion as a solution is the greatest lie. When we as women suffer costs like childcare or poverty, it should never even be the slightest thought that we'd terminate a life to solve the problems of society. Instead of hurting mothers most vulnerable, why would we not stand up with them and affirm their right to be assisted with injustice when in a crisis pregnancy? Because the power we have now and the rights that were afforded us are because of great women rising up before us. They took single cries and turned them into a chorus saying, we will not be silenced and you cannot ignore us. Ladies, let's fight like them to be a voice for the voiceless. Archbishop, your thoughts. Well, it's a very powerful testimony, and I, one that I would agree with uh, completely. I mean, it is, um, you know, the, uh, the dignity and the identity of people created, male and female, uh, does not exclude uh, their uh, ability to be authors of life together. And uh, for a woman to uh, conceive a child, to give birth to a child, is... Uh, uh, you know, at the heart of, of femininity. One of the one of the, the things that impressed me, what she said, it, it's a very powerful statement, by the way. You know, it, she said, we will never have true equality until we realize that abortion as a solution is the greatest lie. And, uh, yes. How true that is. And, you know, the reality also is that the, these plunging demographics uh, of people uh, not having children anymore 
uh, is a great uh, concern for uh, a number of societies, countries. In our own country, uh, probably because of immigration, I think that's been established that we, you know, but that, that uh, makes up for it. But otherwise, we would be in demographic decline. What do you recommend that those who, for instance, are not going to Washington, D.C. for this March for Life, are, are, are home here? What can we do um, the day of the march in order to show forth our support and solidarity for the whole pro-life movement? Yes, well, that's a very good question because uh, obviously not everybody can go to Washington uh, for this uh, event. But like anything, we can be spiritually united. Uh, and actually, that's the more important thing. It, the important thing is that we um, have a, uh, in our hearts and minds and souls a desire to uh, stand up for what is right for the life of the unborn and for respect for human life in general. Archbishop, let's now take a look at the road to happiness in life, and this is where we examine the wisdom of Pope Francis coming from some of his writings. I'll read a short portion of the Holy Father's Address and ask you what your thoughts are on what the Pope has said. This is taken from Pope Francis's Angelus, delivered on January 6th of 2017, and is called, Go Forth and Look for Light. The Pope says, If you want to see the light, you must go forth. You need to go outside yourself and look for it. You can't be withdrawn and just watch what is going on around you. You have to put your own life at stake and go forth. A Christian life is a continuous journey made of hope, a quest. It is a journey like that of the Magi, which continues even when the star momentarily disappears from view. There are dangers on this journey, dangers that should be avoided. Superficial and mundane gossip slows down the pace. Selfish whims are paralyzing and the pit of pessimism traps all hope. Archbishop, your thoughts? Well, yes, coming outside of oneself, going forth from uh, oneself, is an important part of human maturity, even uh, uh, prescinding for a moment from the, the theological, spiritual uh, aspects of this, which, of course, are always there. But, you know, you have to be self uh Centered to be uh, overly introspective, to be narcissistic, uh, is is a disordered state. It's it's not a healthy state for a human person. Similarly, spiritually, we we can't be narcissistic. And I think the Pope is very uh, strong on that theme. You know, this uh, self-referential is the word he use for, uses for it. That if we become self-referential, that we make ourselves the point of reference for everything. Um, we fail to understand uh, the, the, our, our faith and the call of Christ. So we have to, life's a pilgrimage, you know. Uh, life's a journey. Life is an encounter uh, with God and with other people. Those are the things that, uh, that I think the Pope is trying to emphasize. And, of course, then he gets very homey about it when he says, superficial and mundane gossip slows down the pace, selfish whims are paralyzing, and the pit of pessimism traps all hope. And we're all familiar well, that, with those things, right? Yes, those are his uh, earthy, homey ways, I guess, of pointed ways of saying that this uh, pilgrimage, we have to be um, alert to what is outside of us, to the things that are really important, uh, open to the workings of God and the intersection of our lives with other people, uh, where, where Christ is to be encountered. Uh, that, is the, that is the most important thing of all. Well, let's take a look now at our Gospel reading on this second Sunday in Ordinary Time, the 19th day of January. 
Today's Gospel is taken from John, the first chapter, and after the Gospel is dramatically presented, we'll talk with you, Archbishop, and ask for your thoughts. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, for he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. I saw the Spirit descend as a dove from heaven, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Archbishop, what are your thoughts as you hear this Gospel account by John? Well, again, in this post-Christmas uh, season, it's about the epiphany, the manifestation uh, of Christ. And so we start to hear again about those things that are leading up to Christ's public uh, ministry. So John the Baptist still uh, figures into these uh, Gospels, preparing the way of the Lord. He's the one uh, who's not to be baptized just with water, but with the Holy Spirit. And I think we had occasion uh, last week in, the, uh, in re- reflecting on the Gospel to talk about this, the, the this Trinitarian element of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Re- remembering that this is not just uh, ancient history, but we are all baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so it is we, like Christ, who filled with the, the Spirit, gifted with the Spirit, go forth uh, to do the things that we just talked about from Pope Francis's uh, Angelus talk uh, about this our journey in life and how we, uh, Spirit-filled, we, we make our pilgrim way and trying to bear witness to the love of God uh, to other people and for our own salvation. John says, The one who sent me to baptize with water told me, On whomever you see the Spirit come down and remain, he is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Any idea what that might have looked like? I mean, the Spirit coming down on the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit? No, I think the Gospels, um, they present to us uh, vividly uh, events and uh, that that happen on a plane that, that is both visible and tangible and that is also invisible and profoundly uh, of another world. And um, they're the inspired word of God to describe how these things came about, but for us to try to imagine exactly uh, what the experience was like uh, is beyond, I think, our ability to accomplish. Well, let's use this opportunity, you know, as we talked about the celebration of the baptism of Jesus and and John's role in this. um, Let's take this as an opportunity to talk about baptism today. A couple wonders, well, why baptism? What does it do? Why infant baptism? Why not wait till one becomes an adult and can decide for oneself? What would you say to all these questions, Archbishop? Well, already in the New Testament, we find uh, households being baptized. The tradition of infant baptism uh, for the church goes back to the very beginnings. To make it sound like um, that the faith cannot be um, bequeathed or, or, or bestowed on people even in their infancy, um, obviously a person has to 
accept this and live it in eventually, but it is uh, it is a grace that that can be given uh, from the very beginning of a person's life, and to not have the benefit of that grace in their life is a, a deprivation that we the church has never seen fit to to sanction. You know, so we always say that a person should be baptized as, as soon as reasonably possible. Uh, now, it used to be in the old days when infant mortality rates, and I'm sad to say in some parts of the world, infant mortality rates are still horrendous. But, uh, uh, you know, there was a rush to baptize because uh, many children died in, yeah. in birth or soon after. Today, that's less of a threat, but that doesn't mean that being welcoming uh them into the family of faith. I suppose you could say, maybe this is not entirely accurate, but, you know, that's like saying, well, uh, you know, how do we know this baby wants to be part of our family? We should let them grow up and decide for themselves. Maybe they want to be part of the family of the, the next neighbors. Door neighbors. Next door neighbors. <laughs> well, we would say that's kind of, you know, well, it's the same thing in many ways, not not exactly the same, but it's the same thing about it's a good analogy, though, yeah. That, uh, you know, you're, you're born into, a, fa- into a, fa- a family of faith that's given to you as a gift from your, your parents and your family. And you can, you know, just as you can repudiate your earthly family, a physical family, uh, you can also repudiate your Christian family, your baptism, uh, but that doesn't mean that it, it's not bestowed from the very beginning. Let's talk a little bit about uh, about this, because a couple of months ago, back in September, Pope Francis dedicated a new special observance for the Church to be celebrated on the third Sunday in Ordinary Time each year. So that would be next Sunday, and it's called Sunday of the Word of God. And this year, that's next Sunday. Can can you tell us more about the importance of this special day, calling attention to the Bible, to the Word of God? Well, yes, I think the Holy Father is trying to emphasize not something new, but something that is sometimes lost sight of, and that is the preeminent place of uh, God's Word in the Scriptures that is uh, at the heart of the Church's life. How does Christ come to us at Mass in the sacrament uh, of the Holy Eucharist, he comes in the Word and in the Holy Eucharist. That's why the first part of the Mass is the Liturgy of the Word. We have to remember these are not just reminiscences of past history. Uh, the, the Church's faith and belief is that that it is Christ speaking. When I hear the Gospel being read at Mass or the readings, it is Christ speaking to me now mm-hmm. personally. His Word is addressed to me with power if I have a heart and a mind open to hear it. You know, in my baptism, I received, as we just said, the gift of the Holy Spirit, that if I, with uh, proper um, formation and understanding and, and spiritual guidance, hear this word, it is Christ speaking to me. He's coming to me in this way. And then, of course, preeminently, the culmination in the gift of his body and blood in the Holy Eucharist. And what the Pope is saying is, don't forget the first part. The Holy Eucharist, obviously, that is the source and summit of the of the church's life, but the the importance of hearing God's word. And today we live in a world where people want to edit the scriptures, you know, to take this out or that out or change this vocabulary or that vocabulary, as if God's word were just some kind of relative thing uh, for us to treat as we will. In the history of the church, the great fathers of the church in antiquity, they had the greatest reverence for every word and uh, in in scripture and what it meant uh, dwelling and meditating on this with the gift of the holy spirit today words have become very cheap books you know uh, are no longer what they 
they were. And so I think the Pope wants us to to revive a deeper sense of reverence for God's Word. You know, I could give the example, and maybe you had a similar experience. After Vatican II, the Council uh, in the 1960s, there was a renewed sense of the importance of Scripture and God's Word. And at the seminary, every Saturday evening, we had a Bible vigil, uh, where that is to say a liturgy where there was not the liturgy of the Eucharist, but just the liturgy of the Word, and we'd have a reflection. And I remember they used to carry in the Scriptures elevated and use incense and, you know, the, to emphasize this. Well, then, you know, in recent decades, people with all kinds of ideological uh, agendas, you find a, a lectionary and people have taken a pen and, and crossed out words and put what they think, it, you know, in different vocabulary. And, and you find the Bible or the lectionary sitting on the floor. Um, you know, treating God's word with a certain uh, contempt uh, or at least a lack of reverence. Yeah. And I think that the, 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 the Pope wants us to reemphasize on this one Sunday of the year, wants us to be reminded of, of how powerful and central and essential the revealed Word of God is in Scripture. Sounds like what you're saying to us is that if you look at the Word of God, if you look at Scripture as the Word of God, as personally written by Jesus to you or to me, and we reflect on that in our hearts, all of a sudden the Word of God becomes more important to us. It has a special personal meaning for us because it's God's personal message to me. You know, God's Word is alive and active. It's, it's, it's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to those who open their minds and hearts to hear what God wants to say to them and who don't just think of it as some old story that they've heard, you know, before. Uh, this is absolutely crucial. You know, it gets at the heart of uh, even uh, the, the problems we have with so many people falling away from the practice of the faith. You know, you could honestly say that many of them have never really heard with power uh, the, the, scripture, uh, the basic scriptural message proclaimed to them, what we call the kerygma, the basic truth about uh, Jesus Christ and his dying and rising from the dead. And that's what Scripture... Scripture's all about Jesus, you know, uh, because why we say he's the Word of God, the Word of God incarnate. So every page, every every word of Scripture is ultimately about Jesus Christ, Old Testament or New. And uh, But this is a, a spiritual thing that has to that can only come to us through faith and through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, at this time, it's a good point for us to mention the fact that next Sunday, on the third Sunday in Ordinary Time, to celebrate Sunday of the Word of God, you're going to be celebrating the Television Mass live from St. Gregory the Great Parish in Bristol. That's at 10 o'clock next Sunday, and you'll be speaking more about the Word of God and, and how we celebrate God's Word in our lives today. So that's next Sunday, live from St. Gregory the Great Parish in Bristol at 10 o'clock. Archbishop, let's take a question from Carol from Plainville. Carol says, what is your vision for the use of social media by parishes in the archdiocese? Well, my uh, idea for that is to try to get the parishes to do more. You know, the archdiocese is always trying to encourage and give resources for local parishes to do everything they can to enhance their outreach through the modern media and social communications and everything else. As an archdiocese, I think we're doing a much better job doing that, uh, a, a fuller job, given that the, the development of resources in recent years of, of social communication, you know, in our in our society. 
But for the parishes, we give them the encouragement and and the help, but I would hope that many more would, would make use of it. And it's a wonderful way to maintain a connectivity with your parishioners by using social media and the means of social media to connect people, because connecting people means people are better able to relate with one another and also relate with God. Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close our program with a prayer and a blessing? Lord Jesus, you are the eternal word made incarnate by the power of the Holy Spirit, and now through that same Holy Spirit alive in our hearts. We pray for a deeper faith, a deeper openness to the word that you are, that we may not only cherish that word within our hearts and souls, but that we may also be bearers of the word, bringers of the word uh, to a world that so much needs to hear it. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for being with us and inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. It's always a pleasure to be with you. We always learn so much, and hopefully we'll be able to join you again next week at 7 o'clock with a repeat at 11.30. Until then, have a wonderful week. You too, thank you. 